Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. My name is Fitz, not uh, Fritz, and I'm the, um, there's no R in there, uh, I'm the, <laughs> that's my buddy, Jason. Anyway, uh, I'm the family ministry pastor here at Kingsburg Church, and I started working with teenagers about 27 years ago, uh, more than half of my life ago, which is cool. Uh, but there was one family uh, that I got really close with. Uh, when I started serving in, in student ministry, uh, largely because the dad of this family, he directed the teen ensemble, a singing group that I was in my four years of high school. Yes, I sang, no, I will not. And um, so I got really close with this family. So when I started serving uh, in, in student ministries, um, I, got, I, I just got really close with their kids. Their, their oldest son, he was in high school, but then they had younger twins who were in middle school or junior high, um, which was the age I worked with. And so I got really close with them um, as a result uh, of just, just hanging out with them. Uh, quiet, uh, super creative, really funny guys. And we just would have a great time together. Uh, they liked to play video games. They were big time gamers. Uh, they weren't allowed to play during the week because they had to focus on their schoolwork. So they could only play on the weekends, but they were like super good. Like they'd get a new game and they'd solve it in a weekend. Like that's how good they were. And so I would sometimes go over to their house and we play video games. And, and one of the games that we played uh, was called GoldenEye. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with it. I heard one whoop, okay. Uh, it's, it's basically a first-person um, shooter game. Don't, don't send emails about violence in video games. Anyway, um, first-person shooter game based on the James Bond characters, okay? So there are four, four quadrants on the screen, and what you are seeing is what that character would be seeing as they, as they walk through uh, this virtual world. And you would try and find the other characters and... Uh, take them out. Let's just put it nicely, okay? And uh, so we would play this game, and I'd be wandering around this virtual world, and I couldn't find them for the life of me. Like, I'd be running around forever. I'm like, where the honk are you guys? And like in each quadrant, there's a little radar thing where you can see where the other, the other participants were. I didn't know how to use it. And so I'm just running around going, where are you guys? I can't find you. And the, and the entire time, they're giggling. Like, they're just giggling at me. I'm like, this, this is not funny. And I can't find them, I can't find them, and then I die. And we'd start again, and i look, and I can't find them, I can't find them, and, and, we would, and I would die. And that was because they would get behind me and just follow me. So I'm looking and I can't see them because they're right back here. I'm like, where are you? And they would turn and they would turn and then they would, and they would shoot me. And I would, I would die, um, virtually. Anyway, um, so we had some great times together. Now Jordan and Seth, they were, that was their names, they would sit with me in church uh, often. And I had developed this, this syncopated clapping style that you all did so beautifully. Okay, and we would do that during the worship songs. They would play an upbeat song, and we would we would clap that way. And um, one one Sunday we were doing that. We're clapping along. We're worshiping along, and that's when um, it happened. I was sitting between the twins. I had Seth on one side and Jordan on the other. There was a woman sitting on the other side 
of Jordan. And in the middle of the song, as we're enjoying this time of worship, she turns to Jordan and says, can you stop that? You're messing everyone up. Like we're on a recording or something, right? And so I'm, I'm standing there clapping, and Jordan turns to me. He's got this look in his eyes like, and I, I, I said, what happened? And he tells me what she said, and he's like, Fitz, what do I do? And to this day, I don't know if this was the right response. But I said, keep going. You keep clapping, and you keep worshiping Jesus, and so we did. Imagine squashing the enthusiasm and the energy of a young person because of how they clap. Or the way they're dressed. Or the music they listen to. Or how much of a mess they make or an odor they, they create. Or, or how much they talk or how much attention they desire. Well, the woman that day sitting on the other side of Jordan, she was not the first person to be annoyed by young people. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. If you haven't been with us for the past several weeks or you just have a bad memory or whatever, we have been walking through several characteristics that we believe should be true of the Big C Church as well as of Gingensburg Church specifically. And if you missed any of the previous messages, go to our YouTube channel, search Ginghamsburg. We're the only one out there. Subscribe to the page um, because it's a big word to have to type every time. And so just subscribe. You'll be able to find it easier. And if we took all the characteristics to heart that, that uh, Dennis and I have been sharing the past several weeks and made them true of our church community within these walls, the community outside these walls would notice that something is up here. They would see that lives are being transformed. They would see people finding wholeness. They would see people being loved despite any of the struggles that they are experiencing. And I imagine that their ears, that their radars would perk up and they'd wonder what's going on here. And they'd want to be a part of what's happening in this community. Well, there's one more uh, characteristic that we want to focus on today. We've identified this primarily because Jesus thought it was pretty important. If he thinks it's important, it should probably be important to us. And that is that a church must be a place where young people are treasured, where young people are treasured. Our scripture passage today is found in Mark's account of the life and teachings of Jesus. We're going to be in chapter 10, verse 13. It starts off by saying, Paul, uh, people were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them that he would bless them. Regardless of how you define the word bless or blessing, I could have defined it all the ways that Webster and Greek dictionaries say uh, that it has all the definitions, super boring, you would t tune out. So we won't get into that, but regardless of how you define it, I would venture to say that every parent, every person that, uh, that, that provides care to a child, a grandparent, aunt and uncle, whatever, would want their kids to be blessed. We want our kids to be happy and healthy, to grow up with healthy relationships, to not have to experience the struggles of life. I mean, they're going to experience the struggles of life, but to have the tools to walk through those struggles, we want that for our kids. And throughout the Old Testament, we can see how important this concept of blessing is uh, to those in the Bible. There's one character in particular. His name is Jacob. 
Um, he kind of shines a spotlight on how valuable this blessing was. Um, in his culture, it was the norm for the father to bestow a blessing on the oldest son. Jacob was not the oldest. He was the second oldest. So he deceived his father, the person who was going to bestow the blessing. He deceived him into thinking he was the older son so that he could take the blessing that was reserved for the oldest son. That's how important it was to him that he would lie to his own father. And then later in his life, he encountered a divine being, an angel or, or God himself, and he wrestled that divine being and said, I'm not going to let go of you until you give me a what? Blessing. Until you give me a blessing. My son is 16. He's big and strong, and I've learned I can't wrestle him anymore. He'll hurt me. But Jacob's like, uh, God, I'll wrestle him until I get a blessing. That's how important that blessing was to him. And that's why those parents, that's why those caregivers were bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed. And it wasn't only about this vague term of blessing, wanting our kids to be happy and healthy and all those things. Uh, New Testament scholar Craig Evans writes, in late antiquity, it was believed that touching a holy man, even his clothing or being touched by him, would confer blessing, perhaps healing, not just, not just blessing, but also healing. We see this in another story. A woman came up to Jesus. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. Maybe, maybe someone in this room, maybe someone online is wrestling with long COVID and you're just sick and tired of it and you're just frustrated with the complications you're still dealing with. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And she came to Jesus when he was working with some other people, and she came up behind him and said, if I just touch the hem of his garment. So she reached down and she touched the bottom of his robe because she was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I will be healed. Good health was undoubtedly on the minds of those parents, those caregivers who were bringing their kids to Jesus that day. Estimates say that 30% of children born during this time period would die before their first birthday. Almost one-third. And 50% would die before their 15th birthday. That's almost half. It's a, it's a math joke. 50% is half. Work with me here, people. Come on. I need the accountant types to give me a laugh. Um, Fully half of the people born would not make it to their 15th birthday. So, of course, parents would do whatever they had to to receive this blessing of healing from Jesus. Our kids today need healing, don't they? There's a guy named Chap Clark, he was a youth pastor, and he took a break from his youth ministry gig to be a substitute teacher in the school system so he could study and learn from teenagers, learn their culture and learn their psychology. He wrote down the findings in two books, Hurt and Hurt 2.0. And um, one of his main findings is that the number one, the number one emotion that teenagers experience is hurt is hurt. That's the number one emotion. And that's because largely they feel abandoned. By whom? By us. 
by us grown-ups. And that's because organizations, structures, and institutions that were originally concerned with children's care, welfare, and development, and I'm gonna, not going to get into specifics because I'm going to offend somebody. Uh, maybe I should. I'm not going to. Organization structures that were originally there for children's care have become less interested in individual nurture and developmental concern and more interested in institutional perpetuation or the competitive, even pathological needs of the adult in charge. Lots of big words. What it's saying is what used to be there for the kids and develop the kids, the individual children, is no longer about them. It's now about the structure and the survival of the structure and the adults who are in charge. And so that leaves the young people feeling hurt and abandoned. But it's not only about these organizational structures that they need healing from. Think about what they've experienced in the last few years. A pandemic? You've heard about it, right? Seen the news stories? They've had to walk through that. Social isolation, having to do school online, masking. I'm not going to say whether I agree with it or not because someone's going to pick a fight with me. But the fact of the matter is they had to walk through it. This has been going on a long time, but now with social media, we have so much exposure to it. People being killed because they look different because their skin's not the right tone. How about two mass shootings every day in America? Every day, not just when we have a bad week, every day in America. And a world that's just getting hotter and hotter that's gonna more acutely affect them because they're gonna be around to experience it. Think they need healing? The CDC reported that more, in one, more, than, more than one in three high school students had experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness in 2019, a 40% increase since 2009. 2009 to 2019, it went up 40%, and that was before the pandemic. That was before the pandemic, which only accelerated the feelings of depression and anxiety and stress in our young people. The young people in our church, the young people in our circles, the young people in our community desperately need the healing touch that Jesus offers. And it's up to us as a church to bring them to Jesus so they can experience that. Now, when those parents brought those kids to Jesus a uh, long time ago, Things didn't go exactly as they intended. All they wanted was a simple blessing from Jesus, and that's all. But that's when the disciples step in. Usually we read a lot of these stories, and we're like, we see something about the Pharisees or the religious leaders getting involved, and you're like, man, what a bunch of jerk faces. Well, the disciples, they could be a bunch of knuckleheads, which, which should give, make us feel better. If you're like, man, I can't get this Christian life right. You know what? They walked side by side with Jesus for three years. They lived with him. They ate with him. They talked with him. They did all the things with him. And they still were knuckleheads. Here's what we read. But the disciples scolded them. 
They didn't say, hey, kids, uh, can you just wait? Just hold on a second. He'll be with you in just a, he's doing something here. No, they scolded the kids. They scolded the adults, much like that woman did in my church all those years ago. Why would they do such a thing? Well, if we would rewind to earlier verses in chapter 10, we see Jesus engaged in two very important activities. One, uh, at the end of verse one, we read, as was his custom, he taught them. What was Jesus? He was a rabbi, which is another word for teacher. This was his job. This was his role. He was doing something very important. And then in verse two, some Pharisees came and tested him. Now, the Pharisees were a very influential group of individuals. They get a lot of bad press now, 2,000 years later, but they are very well respected. They were the uh, keepers of the law, which was the document given by God that they basically governed every area of a Jew's life. And so it was very normal for them to be engaged in debate and conversation about what was in the law. And so Jesus, being a teacher, being a rabbi, it was very normal and very important for him to be engaged in these conversations with the Pharisees. And so these two things, this teaching and this, this debate with the Pharisees would have been seen as far too important of activities than to be interrupted by some rotten kids. You see, kids were not seen as particularly valuable in this culture. They weren't very, they weren't considered productive. They were considered second-class citizens at best, property at worst. And so as a result, as a result, the disciples assumed that Jesus did not have time for them and scolded them. And so how important are our young people? How important are they? Like pretty important, Right? We, we structure our calendars around them and things like that. But what would their experience tell them? Their experience with us. What would that communicate about their value and their worth to us? Now, we, we're engaged in important things, right? You all, we have work, right? That's pretty important. Having a roof over your house, over your, what is it? Head. There you go. Having a roof over your head, it's important. Having food on your table, that's important. Your work it's important, okay? You've got things that you need to take care of around the house. Fix the fridge so you can have some food to put on your table. That's important. You have your hobbies. That's important. You need that, that recreational time to clear your mind, to flourish, to enjoy life. You have your social media. That's not, not as important. Okay, we're going to put that one to the side. But we have important things to do, but as important as these things are, whether they're the, the, the kids in our home or the kids in the circles, they need to experience that they are just as, if not more important than those things. And do the time and attention we pay them communicate that? Does the way that we communicate to them when they interrupt us communicate that? I wrote that line for me, just being real honest here. How do we treat them when we see in the hallway, when we see them in the hallways here at church? Because some of you don't have kids in the home, and you're like, this message ain't for me. What do they experience when they encounter you in the hallways here? Does it reflect that we value them? 
that they are important to us? Are we focusing on the ways that we encounter them so that they know that they are loved and valued and important? One of the ways that our family tries to, to keep this in the forefront of our mind is through the use of legacy marbles. Uh, legacy marbles. These are uh, jars of marbles. We have one for each of our kids. And in each marble, in each jar, there's a marble for every week of our children's lives from the time that they're born until they graduate high school, about 936 weeks, I think is what it is. Um, and every Sunday today, I will take a marble out of each jar. And the saying is true, the days are long, but the years are what? Short, yeah, they go quickly. And it, uh, it devastates me to see my oldest kids' jars, because there ain't much left. But this is a reminder for me and my wife, asking ourselves the questions, are we doing the things that are important? Are we showing them that they are valued and important? Is, is my scrolling through Twitter as important as playing hallway basketball with my seven-year-old? What am I communicating through my words and through my actions? What's that communicating to my kids? And, and some of you, you've got this non-parent context, you don't have kids at your home. The things that you're involved in, your pet projects, is it as valuable and important in our kids' mind, our students' mind in this church as it is that we point them to Jesus, to raise them up as a community of Jesus followers? So how's Jesus gonna respond to this, this scolding? You know, the meek, mild Jesus, you know, cradling the baby lamb, the sparkling white robe, the beauty pageant sash, you know, that Jesus. How, how's he gonna respond? Mark tells us, when Jesus saw this, he grew angry and said to them, allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Shnikes, that is not the meek and mild Jesus, is it? Jesus is hacked off. You see, being angry is not a sin as long as it's directed at the appropriate thing and handled in the appropriate way. And Jesus is defining here what's important. He gets ticked off, and it's not the only time that Jesus responds with anger. The Pharisees brought a man to him earlier in this gospel, a man with a withered hand. And they wanted to see if Jesus was going to heal him on the Sabbath, which was a big no-no. And Jesus gets hacked off because these Pharisees were using this, this man who desperately needed healing as a pawn for their religious debate. So he gets angry. And in a couple of gospels, we read how Jesus gets mad with the money changers in the temple for trying to take advantage of those who are coming into worship. And he flips over their tables and whips them with cords. Jesus, you know, the meek and mild Jesus. And in each case, in each scenario, Jesus gets angry for the ways that someone is trying to limit who has access to God's kingdom whether it be a disabled man, whether it be the devout poor, or whether it's these insignificant children. We don't get to say who gets in and who doesn't, who gets to experience the kingdom of God and who doesn't. And when we do, when we try and say yes to some and no to others, when we say to some, Jesus doesn't have time for you, Jesus gets ticked. Jesus gets ticked. 
Jesus gets angry. Why is that? For God so loved the, yeah, for God so loved the world, every person that you and I try to keep out of the kingdom of God, every person that we think doesn't belong is someone that Jesus died for. Every last one of them. And I believe that when we get to heaven, we're gonna be surprised at some of the people that we see there. And I think some of them are gonna be surprised to see you and me. Some of you while you eat lunch later are gonna go, oh wait, that one hurt. What Jesus is doing here is he is elevating those that society was trying to keep down. Young people, not, not particularly important in that society at that time, but Jesus says, no, no, you've got it all wrong. These are the ones who have it right. These young people are the ones who have it right. He recognized a child's simple faith. He knew the value of the belief that they possessed. For example, walk into our kindergarten class up here or kindergarten classroom and ask, um, how many of you are artists? Every hand will shoot up. I, I am, I, I can draw a picture, I can draw you a rainbow, I can draw you a car, you want me to draw you a house, I'll draw you, I'll draw you. I can do that. Bring out a, a basketball. How many of you can play basketball? I am, I'm LeBron James. I'm LeBron James, I, I'm, I can play basketball. I can play basketball. I never miss a shot. Pull out a guitar and they're like, I'm Jimi Hendrix, I'm, I'm John Mayer. They don't know who that is, but they're like, I gotta play it. I gotta play a song. Can I play a song? I'll play a song for you. Ask a sixth grader or a junior in high school or a, an adult. They'd be like, nope. I can't do any of those things. Why? Because kids have a much more developed faith in themselves and in trusted adults and in God because they haven't learned enough to be skeptical. And Jesus elevates that kind of faith. In an article on uh, sojourners.com, the author suggests four reasons why kids do faith better than adults. One, they ask questions. They ask questions. A recent study found that the average kid asks 73 questions a day. <laughs> And some of you are like, that was on the way to church. <laughs> they ask questions. As adults, we're like, I don't want anyone to know that I don't know the answer. And so we won't ask a question. But kids are like, hey, yeah, tell me more. I want to ask a question about this, and I want to ask a question about that. They ask questions. Two, they're honest. Sometimes too honest, right? <laughs> they're vulnerable. And they'll share things. They won't hold anything back. And it's usually at the most inopportune times. Right? Three, they are passionate and excited. You've never seen a kid go, got a soccer game today. NBD, no big deal. Whatever. No, they're like, soccer! We recently had a calendaring meeting at home uh, where we just, uh, on Sundays, we plot out the week, who's got games, who's got work, who's got all the things. And Nafi, my seven-year-old, he was super pumped to write play every day on his line. 
I'm going to play on Monday. I'm going to play on Tuesday, Wednesday. Let's play Thursday. I'm going to play. And on Friday, I'm going to play. And then Saturday, I've got all day to play because I don't have to go to school. So pumped. And finally, they are adventurous. They don't take the safe route. They just go for it. They don't think about, am I going to get hurt by this? Is this smart? They're like, sounds fun. Let's go. And this is the kind of faith that Jesus elevates. Jesus elevates this kind of faith. He tells the disciples that day, I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Jesus elevates the young people. We must not push down what Jesus elevates. And then Jesus continues to surprise the people brought these young people to receive a blessing, which would have been physically symbolized by a simple touch. And Jesus is like, ah, not good enough for me. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. He didn't simply bless them with a touch. He hugged them. He embraced them. Those whom society said was not deserving of his time and attention, he hugged them to communicate his love and value of them. Craig Evans writes, the embrace is a public demonstration of children's acceptance and value in the kingdom. We talked a couple weeks ago about love needing an outward and tangible expression. This is Jesus's outward and tangible expression for the value that he placed on young people. One way that we as a church um, strive to embrace the kids within our midst, the young people within our midst, is through what's called the orange philosophy. Many of you are familiar with it, but if you're not, uh, basically what the orange philosophy says is that there are two primary influences in a kid's life. There is the home, which is uh, represented by yellow, or uh, represented by red, because that's where uh, the warmth is. The warmth is found in the home. And then there's yellow. Yellow is designated, the church is designated as yellow because it's, we're supposed to be the light of the world. And each influence can have a certain amount of influence separately. But when we come together, when we make orange, we can have so much more impact, exponentially more impact when we work together to point young people to Jesus. And so when we send out emails, we give parents helps and hints about what's going on in our ministry, but how they can parent their kids. When we send kids out, we send them memory verses. When we send our students out after, after YG and Bible study, we give them Bible reading plans so that they know what it looks like to read the Bible on their own. So we're working together because parents, how many of, how many of you parents think parenting's super easy? I didn't think so, right? It's tough. And you're like, man, I just need some help. I don't feel up to this task of pointing my kid to Jesus. Well, the church, Gingensburg Church, wants to come around you and say, let us help. But here's the thing. As a church, we only have about 40 hours of influence in a kid's life every week or every year. Only 40. Parents, you have 3,000. So we're limited. Parents are limited. We work together. And that's what Orange is about. But it's not just about the things we do in our classroom. It's not just about the things we hand kids when they walk out the door. Uh, when I first started working with teenagers, there was a ratio that was tossed around quite a bit. It was one to five. It said for every five kids, five students in your ministry, you need one caring, trusted adult. 
Uh, that way you can spread the, the wealth and the work around, which made sense. But since then, they flipped the script on us and they said, for every kid, for every student in your ministry, you need five caring, trusted adults. That's a big number. But what that doesn't mean is that for every kid, you need five small group leaders because that would be a really awkward small group time. That would be really weird. But for every kid, every kid needs five adults who know their name, who know something about them, who are praying for them, who say hi to them on Sunday morning. It might be in a formal way in leading a small group in one of our ministries, or it might be in an informal way when you walk past them in the hallway. Some of those five to one ratio will never lead a small group, will never teach a bunch of young people, but it's the effort that we all make, all of us, it's going to point these kids to Jesus that will have the most impact. Uh, one person I think who's having a huge impact on the way she treasures young people is a friend of mine. Her name's Melody Reeser. And when I was getting ready to preach this, I'm like, hey, can we talk to her during this message? And they said, yes. And so I want you to hear her story. My name is Melody. I have been a high school small group leader for almost a decade. A small group leader means Wednesday nights, and that means coming here at 6 p.m. and eating pizza and just hanging out with them for a while. There's a time of worship uh, where they do music, and there's a message that's given, and then we break out into our small groups. And then sometimes when I'm able, uh, if there's something like the fall retreat, or if there's you know some fun activity that they do, then I, I go to those as well. There have been times where you didn't think that they were listening, you didn't think that they were that you were making a difference at all. And then there'll be a night where, where something clicks and they just open up and they just want to talk to you. And you're with high school, their personalities are coming out and they're becoming who they're going to be. And I love to see that. I love watching them grow and watching them change and mature it's it's for me it's kind of fuel well i had a student who uh covid was really hard on and like it was for all of us but for him he changed he kind of went into his shell when we came back and we started back again and there would be nights where we would have discussions afterwards where you could just see you could just see him come out of his shell into who he was, and, and I enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I enjoyed seeing that growth in him. What keeps me coming back is the students, is the worship and listening to them. There'll be nights where I will, I'll stop singing just so that I can hear them, and they sing and, and put their hands in the air, and they close their eyes, and I just, I love that. Then the, the small group discussions where we go and we meet in our small groups, just getting to hear the girls and hear their answers to things. And, you know, sometimes we don't even stay with the program. Sometimes we, we they go off on the whatever is, is bothering them for the day. And, and just the fact that they're so open and honest about it and they feel like they're in a place where they can trust us. There are days I don't think I am doing anything. And I mean, there have been a lot of times I go home and it's like, why am I doing this? Is this really, am I making a difference? 
I've done this enough now that I have had uh, some from freshman to senior year. I've had some from seventh grade all the way to senior year. And to see their changes in, in, who, in their personality and who they become, it is a privilege to watch. And to see them become these beautiful young adults. Um, and that's kind of why I keep coming back. I love it that we got video of mustache night at YG, so some of our guys and girls were wearing mustaches, but I love the way that Melody elevates our young people, and that's something we all can do. Now, now not all of you are called to serve in kids' ministry or student ministry. Not all of you are gifted that way. Some of you, you should not do it. It's not because you're a bad person, it's just not your gifting, right? It's not your call. But we can all do something that elevates the young people in our midst, that communicates our love and value and acceptance. What can you do to communicate that to our young people that walk our hallways? Can you give them a high five? Can you give them a fist bump? What's it communicating? The way that you welcome them, the way that you treat them in the hallways, what does it communicate to them? Maybe you know one of their names, and on Sundays you can say, hey, Billy, how's it going? It's good to see you. Hope you had a great week. Unless their name's not Billy, then it's weird. Um, make sure you know their name first before you do that. Maybe you know the parents of a young person and you can approach them and say, you know what, I'd love to pray for your kid every day. Can I get a school picture of your kid, put their name on my fridge so I can pray for them every day? The way that we interact with our young people is gonna do one of two things. It's gonna communicate that they don't belong here by the way that we treat them and they're gonna go away, and they're gonna be hurt and feel abandoned and confused. Or it's gonna communicate that they belong here, that there's something for them here, that we love them, that we value them, that we elevate them the way that Jesus does, and it opens that door to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are, are, are serving in a formal way. Some of you already serve in kids' ministry. Some of you already serve in student ministry and major props to you. And some of you have been feeling the nudge and you, you're just like pushing that nudge down. And to you, I would say, stop it. If you are feeling that nudge, do something about it. Stop squashing the nudge and get plugged in. You can do that a few different ways. Go to gingensburg.org serve. Click on serve and go to family. You can scan this QR code. Just drop me an email, mfitzpatrick at gingensburg.org. Um, that's a really long email, so if you just wanna come up and say hi, um, we'll get you plugged in. This community can and needs to be a place where young people are treasured. Because when they feel like they're treasured, when they feel like they're loved, when they feel like they are valued, it's going to open the door of their hearts to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And that's what we need to be about. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the way that you value young people and thank you that we have the opportunity to model that. Help us to do that. For those of us who are serving in a formal way, give us the strength and energy and everything we need to do that. And for those of us who that's not our calling, I pray that we would see our kids, that we would see our students through your lenses. Someone who is valued, who gets faith and who needs to be embraced. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.